Welcome to the Car Project Podcast, where we equip you to understand and study the Bible and find joy along the way. We're so glad you're here. Welcome to a special Easter edition of the Car Project. I am Sarah. And I'm Heather. And today we're going to dive into another Bible verse we find in the New Testament, one that we actually find smack in the middle of the Easter story. And we're going to apply the Cara Bible study method to this this verse and discover what it means. Um, So you can join us as we put Cara into action today. You can find the study guide on our website and download it there, as well as a study guide that goes along with this if you want to study this on your own or do it as a... Uh, in a group. So today, again, this this passage is really in the middle of the Easter story. And the verse we're going to be uncovering today is Mark 15, 38. And it says, and the temple curtain was torn in two from top to bottom. And I think this is a, a verse that we kind of can just gloss over or read over or maybe certainly maybe miss the significance of this. So Heather, I'm excited to uncover this and and I'm wondering where you're going to start with us. Well, anytime we like to read a verse, we don't want to just read one verse. We want to read multiple verses. We love to start reading the context around. And what's great as part of that as you know, if it's Easter, let's let's go and actually read the the Easter story. And so I'm going to start it in Mark 15. uh, That's chapter 15. I'm going to start in verse 25. Our verse is in verse 38. So I'm going to read about, uh, you know, a little over 10, uh, 12, 14 verses here. And let's start in verse 25. And it says this, it was nine in the morning when they crucified him. They're talking about Jesus. The written notice of the charge against him read the king of the Jews. They crucified two rebels with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, so you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, come down from the cross and save yourself. In the same way, the chief priests and the teachers of the law mocked him among themselves, saying, He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. Verse 32, Let this uh, Messiah, this King of Israel, come down from from the cross, and that we may see and believe. Those crucified with him uh, also heaped insults at him, and at noon darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And at three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud, loud voice, uh, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Um, if you, I just want to pause here. I'm going to quickly just do a side note. If you are reading your Bible along with us in Mark 15 and you are looking at any of your cross references, you're going to see that this Psalm, uh, this is actually a reference uh, to Psalm 22 that Jesus is doing. It's considered a messianic Psalm. Okay, now hold on. What what is messianic psalm? What does that mean? Messianic psalm was a psalm that was uh, was pointing to the day of a Messiah, and so oftentimes there was perf- there was you know messianic prophecy. There was messianic psalms. They were they were alluding to something that the the Jewish people in their culture would have known was something that was speaking of the Messiah. And okay, okay so it, like these Jewish people would have known this well, and so when Jesus first says, he actually ends up saying the first verse of Psalm twenty two, "My God, My God, why have you forsaken me?" And it can, and if you read the Psalm 22, which I recommend you all do, it co- continues to say things in verse seven, like all who see me mock me, they hurl insults and shake their heads. Didn't we just hear about this? Um, in verse eight, it says he trusts in the Lord, they say, but let the Lord rescue him. We just saw that. And then in verse 18, it says they divided my clothes among them and cast lots for my garments. You're seeing the Easter story almost um, mimicked here uh, and, and repeated in Psalm 22. Like this is like a 
long time ago. And so if in their current day, they, we, we are hearing Jesus say, my God, why have you forsaken me? Like that's how our Eastern American yeah, ears, like, where'd you go, God? Right, exactly. Yeah. That, where'd you go, God? Right. We yeah. automatically think that that's what Jesus is saying here. And what yeah. he was actually doing was putting an earworm or, you know, like that song that never gets out of your head. Uh, he's putting a little earworm in their head, starting to say the beginning of a song that they knew so well. And they would have started singing the song in their head. And they would have started to realize that the phrase he's using is to claim he's the Messiah. And so this phrase here is not something we would have normally taken. We would have taken it out of context because we didn't understand he was actually just quoting a psalm. That's actually a really good point. We wouldn't have realized that. Mm -mm. And so for the original audience, just knowing that they would have known Psalm 22 as a messianic psalm foretelling of this future Messiah, this future Christ, and then now here at the cross, Jesus quoting the psalm, they would have thought, oh, wow. Wait a second. He, he's making a claim that I am that Messiah. Not only that, but he's also repeating back things that if you think about that psalm, he's mm. talking about things like they trust in the Lord and say, have the Lord rescue him, and they mock him and hurl insults. They had oh, just done yeah. that. They had just done that. And so anyway. This had been so real. If you were so standing powerful. there, how mm. powerful. How powerful. Now, mm. I know that I have not finished our verses in Mark 15. I totally did a sidebar. So thanks oh. for hanging in with us, folks, as Heather <laughs> just goes all around the Bible. Uh, but let's let's pick our verse back up in um, Mark 15, verse 35. Remember, he had just said, uh, Eloi, Eloi, uh, uh, how was it said? Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. I had to practice that a lot, I'm you so guys. glad you read that. Right, right. Um, but let's keep going. Verse 35, let's pick it up here. When some of those standing near heard this, they said, listen, he's calling Elijah. Someone ran, filled a sponge with wine vinegar and put it on a staff and offered it up to Jesus to drink. Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to take him down, they said. And with a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. And then in verse 38, it says, The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And 39 says, And then when the centurion who was stood there in front of Jesus saw how he died, he said, Surely this man was the Son of God. I love that last detail that's found in there, this Roman centurion, that mm-hmm. that was even mentioned. And um, just knowing that that Mark, we can learn from you know the intro to our study Bibles, that Mark was writing really to a, a Roman audience. Yeah. And so this little detail that Mark includes here of the Roman soldier's belief in this confession, yeah. right, that this is Christ, um, it was helping Mark's audience understand the awe that their own people found in the events. That's right. That's place. right. I, this is why it's so mm. fun to study the author, everyone. If you have the chance to be able to figure out who Mark is and who his audience is, yeah. then it brings out some of these details we would have probably overlooked. Yeah. Um, now we've read the, we've read the context around our verse. We are you know placed right in the heart of the death of Jesus. Mark then goes on to give more details about Jesus's death and resurrection, which you can also read about in other gospels. But um, when we read this uh, this passage with this verse in mind that we started with of this current and veil, veil, or, or veil tearing in two, it makes us want to ask the question, um, and this is a research question we have, is what questions or observations do you have in the passage? My natural reaction is, well, what's the significance? You already brought this up, Sarah. Mm-hmm. It's like, what does this mean, this veil tearing in two? Why, like, why do we care? Yeah, this little detail mm-hmm. that is quite actually significant right. and, and amazing. Right. Now, yeah. now, typically, if I was studying the Bible with a gospel, I typically go to um, you know Matthew or Luke or other places where the story is told to see if I could get any information about oh, the sure. veil. Right. I did that. There was nothing of oh, significance okay. that I found about the veil specifically. Mm-hmm. 
specifically, so we will not cover that right now. But I would like to just go to history. Because as I was reading this passage and I looked at at my verse, the cross-references were screaming out two different places in the Bible. Mm. One was going back in history and one was going forward. And so I want us to first go back in history. We're going to use the history questions from our CARA Bible study guide. And we want to look at the original audience and how they would have heard this message and how does this fit into the larger story of the Bible. All of my cross-references were pointing back to um, starting with Exodus, where we see that the Lord is giving instructions to Moses and the Israelites on how to build a sanctuary or a tabernacle where where God could dwell. Mm. So if you start in around Exodus 25 through 30, I'm not going to read all five uh, chapters. In fact, I had to uncover quite a a few chapters in order to get the history behind all this. But we see that this tabernacle tabernacle, tabernacle is being built uh, to, to be God's dwelling place. Um, so that the Israelites, as they wandered through the, the, the desert, as they would set up camp, they put up this tabernacle and then God would, would uh, his spirit would dwell in there. Um, how the tabernacle was set up is there was this outer court, this spot kind of with a fence around it where the Israelites could enter in to offer their sacrifices for their sins, their regular offerings. Uh, and there's a lot of uh, regulations around that. That's mm-hmm. all throughout Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. It's a great read. Um, and so, but that that's the outer courts. And then the actual tabernacle building itself Itself, um, there was two parts to it. There was the inter, the first part, which was called the holy place. It was where the priests would enter daily. It included like an altar of incense, the the lampstand, which is also called a menorah. They had a table where bread would be, and they would re uh, uh, re stock the bread on a regular basis for the the priests. It was kind of like their place to eat, and and it was this was their their place to hang out. I wanted to call it the teacher's lounge, but I don't know if that's the right way to, to necessarily call it that. But this idea that this is only a place for break yeah break room. <laughs> this is the place that was specific geared for the for the priests to be able to spend their time and 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 do their rituals okay. but then there was a, a, a second uh, part of that building and it was in the back and it was called the most holy place so wait the first one was the, the holy the middle place. one was the holy place yes. and now we're the most most holy, holy place. place they really created with the word with yes. the names yeah, okay yes. right. so this specific pot spot is actually where god would dwell and it was separated by a curtain um, and the only people that could enter into that place was the high priest. So not all priests could go in there. Only the high priest, which was like the grand, the grand guy, could go in there and was allowed to pass by that curtain or veil to get into the place where God dwelled. Now, correct me if I'm if I'm wrong, but if I remember correctly, they could only go in like once a year. And even at that, wouldn't they like tie, tie a rope around their foot just in case they died in there? Yes. And so they can bring them back out? That's right. That's right. So they also put bells on their um, tassel, mm-hmm. like on their clothes so that, that way they could hear whether or not there was movement in there. Is he in there or not? And mm-hmm. so this was, I mean, this was a very big deal. Yeah, right. This, this mm-hmm. high priest would go in there once a year. Day of Atonement was a, a, a chance for everybody to, you know, uh, for, ask for forgiveness of their sins and be atoned for their sins. Mm. And so we see in Leviticus, again, all my cross-reference, we see in Leviticus around uh, chapter 16 and 21, we read that the high priest could enter into the most holy place on this day of atonement, which is once a year. That's where I got that information. Mm. The high priest could enter in through the curtain into the most holy place, but he couldn't do it unless he was clean. He had to be pure. No, mm. do, not, nothing could be defiled. I put a pin in that because that's going to come back to our story. Um, and then in Second Chronicles, we later see this tabernacle, this place with the holy place and the most holy place. Solomon goes to rebuild um, the temple in the promised land, and he builds it pattering off of the tabernacle, mm. including okay. the curtain. 
So we see this exact image of a holy place and a most holy place in, in the temple, in the temple. Okay. that the Jews would know of in Jerusalem. And in sec- in First Kings uh, 6.20, it actually gives some detail of how big this curtain was. It was 30 feet wide. It was 30 feet tall. It was mm-hmm. super thick fabric. So this thing was ginormous, um, if ginormous is a word. Um, but I bring up these verses because I think it's important to hear how big the veil is. This um, it, that was in the temple, the one that would have been torn mm-hmm. when Jesus died, because it's not something that could have easily been taken down. Like we're talking about probably not something that could be done by human hands. It would have likely, um, the only way a human could have done it is maybe from the bottom to the top, but then you're talking about thick fabric and it's 30 feet tall. Like this thing was huge. Mm. That, yeah, that is pretty significant. The fact that it was torn from the top down, from the top to the bottom. Mm-hmm. This wasn't an act of, of humans. This wasn't a prank. You know, this this was this was an act of God. Um, and I just I, I love all of the Old Testament passages that you just shared because I think sometimes we might have a harder time applying the Old Testament to us, and especially some of those details about the temple or like mm-hmm. there's they get long and. And now we see the significance of what is happening surrounding the Easter story and the death and resurrection of Jesus. We only know that if we know our Old Testament. We only know the history. And so here, if we're reading between the lines, um, you know, so far on what we understand of the history and the significance of this curtain, the veil separated man from God. That's what we've learned through history. We also know that the high priest could only enter into that most holy place and have access to God. It wasn't the rest of the people had access to God, only the high priest did. Mm. And then taking away the veil... I mean, if we're reading between the lines here, taking away the veil meant that they could ent- anyone could enter into the most holy place, that anyone could have access to God, not just the high priest. Okay. And so then the significance of, of the veil being torn by God, not humanity, does it show that, I mean, that, that God and only God can create a way to be reconciled mm-hmm. to himself? Yes. I mean, this is what makes it so cool. Yeah. This is, this is done by God and God alone. And um, this is why this small little detail in the Easter story yeah. is now starting to come to life even more. But we're not done yet. There's more. There's more. <laughs> um, you know, so I talked about how my cross-references pointed me back in history, okay. but it also pointed me forward. And so I looked at my context okay. and I said, okay, well, what do I know about the curtain? Um, what do I learn throughout the rest of the Bible that helps me interpret this verse? And it I, actually, funny enough, pointed me to a ton of references in Hebrews. Oh, you know what? That actually doesn't surprise me. I mean, Hebrews is to these early Jewish Christians who were receiving a lot of pressure to return back to the Old Testament law. Mm-hmm. And so Jesus, um, uh, you know, Hebrews, you learn that Jesus has fulfilled the Old Testament laws and, and, and how he's greater than all the rituals and the laws and all that in the Old Covenant. Um, yeah. So just the point that the fact that it pointed to Hebrews mm-hmm. to see how, how this would uh, play out here, it doesn't surprise me. No, not at all. And, yeah. the, and, and so... Um, the first place it pointed me to is Hebrews six nineteen and 20. Let me read it for us. It says, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul. I love that. For an, as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure, it enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner, Jesus, has entered on our behalf. He has become a high priest forever. Hmm. So now we're seeing an identity here of Jesus becoming the high priest and not just a, he's, this is it for like a moment in time. It's forever. He has taken the place. He is pure. He is Mm. clean. He has the, like, he didn't need any of these sacrificial things to stay clean. Like all the other high priests, he gets to be our high priest and he gets to enter in past that curtain forever, forever. And uh, what's, what's really cool is this, it brings us to the idea of this curtain. Well, of course this curtain is 
shred, it's torn, and, and Jesus gets to enter in on our behalf. But it, we're seeing this idea of this curtain come through loud and clear. But then the question came to me, like, well, how? How did how did Jesus accomplish this? And Hebrews keeps on going. Hebrews 9, um, verses 1, uh, let me just read, start in 1, and we'll just keep on going. Um, for the first covenant had regulations for worship, the first covenant meaning the one back in the Old Testament in Exodus. Now, the first covenant had regulations for worship and also an earthly sacri- uh, sanctuary, a tabernacle was set up. We already heard this, right? Verse three says, behind the second curtain was a room called the most holy place. Okay, so Hebrews is just setting the groundwork of, hey, y'all remember what right. we what we had <laughs> back, back in the day? Um, and then in Hebrews nine, mm-hmm. uh, verse 11, it picks up and says, but when Christ became um, came as high priest of the good things that are now already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not made by human hands. That is to say, is not part of this creation. He did not enter by means of blood of goats and calves, which is what their sacrificial system would have had, but he entered the most holy place once and for all by his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. Verse 15 picks it up and says, for this reason, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant, Mm. that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance now that he has died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. It's like Jesus is superior to Jesus's way is superior to the old way. Right. And it's, you see that over and over in Hebrews. That's exactly right. Mm-hmm. And so this idea of them having to do sacrificial systems and having to sacrifice animals in order to cover their sins, it's Jesus's blood. This, I mean, this is the Easter story in a very quick nutshell. Jesus's blood covered it all yeah. so that we didn't have to do that anymore. Mm-hmm. He, he gave us access to God. Um, more good news. Uh, it goes into Hebrews 10, uh, starting in verse 14. It starts and says, For by one sacrifice he, which is Jesus, our final high priest, has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Okay, so right, because the priests, they used to have, they would go in once a year for mm-hmm. atonement, and now Jesus, once for all, it's done forever. Yeah. Nope. Yeah, yeah, we don't have, there's no other, like, thing we have to do. Yeah. Our sins have been taken care of forever. Christ, forever. Forever. Yeah. I love it. Okay. okay. And, and then um, Hebrews 10 uh, moves on in chapter 10, verse 19 says, therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, because of that curtain, you guys, verse 20 says, by a new and living way open to us through the curtain, right? That is his body. 21 says, and since we have the greatest high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with a full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. I love some of the language in there, you know, that we have access to God and, and uh, let us draw near uh, to God with a sincere heart and mm-hmm. full assurance. Um, the idea that we we have this open access now, the, the veil that separated us between uh, between mankind and God has been torn. torn. It's gone. We have, we have access to to God, to a relationship with God, that we can draw near to God. Oh, isn't this... A, so, okay, so we ask the question, what's the significance of the fail tearing mm-hmm. in two? I think we're getting there. Mm-hmm. One thing is that this was God's way of showing us that he took away the barrier between us and him through Jesus' yeah. death on the cross. Praise the Lord. Um, it places Jesus as our final high priest, and it shows that his sacrifice, that he is the final Passover lamb, uh, with uh, was that, and that was all we needed in order mm-hmm. to atone for our sins forever. It symbolizes that free access, Sarah, that you were just speaking to, right? That as believers in Christ, we get to have free access into a presence with God um, and that where it's now open to God. We get to, we get to have that free access. And it also shows that there's no more need for temples, priests, altars, sacrifices. Jesus has finished the work. 
He now is those things. He, yeah, right? that's, like that's he, right. Right. Wow. So the best part is in Hebrews 10, which I think you were talking about some of that powerful language is when he says that the veil tearing can draw us near to God with a sincere heart mm. and the full assurance that faith brings. Mm, I love that. The veil tearing wasn't just like to make a point. It was actually drawing us closer to God. You know, it, so it's interesting um, that when we go back to the original, when, when we first started, you were reading, you know, the, really the, the Easter story. Oh, in Mark 15. In Mark 15. Yeah. Yeah. And Jesus was being mocked, right? <laughs> Do you remember Jesus yeah. being mocked? Yeah. Because he said that he was going to destroy the temple in three days and he was going to rebuild it. But here we see that he did destroy the idea of the temple and uh, resurrected a new way of thinking about it and his death, or through his death and resurrection. No, it's such a great point because I, I think it is like you read the story in context and you understand the Old Testament history and it starts to come to life of, you're right, he did destroy the temple. He did it in a way they weren't expecting. Right. He, did it, he did it in a way that was showing them the full access that they have to God because of his sacrifice. It's just these small little details in this verse that we could have glossed over or completely have forgotten yeah. about and we, um, and we see something so powerful in what we just read today. Okay, so we want to apply this. Like, yeah. how do you apply Old Testament history uh, and and um, tabernacles and temples to us today? Mm-hmm. One of the questions we have under our apply section is, what do you learn about God? Mm-hmm. And I think we learn loud and clear that he wants a connection with us and he doesn't want to be separated from us. Yeah, for sure. And I think we also, we learned that Jesus's death was important, right? Like I was just trying to find um, the Roman centurion, what he said again, Mm -hmm. right? Like, surely this is the son of man, the son of God. God. Um, His his death was important and it's important because he was the son of God. Um, But yeah, Jesus, he became the high priest and the mediator and, and that gives us that access, you know, that connection, that relationship with God that, that used to have so many things just surrounding that, that there's, there's this freedom now mm-hmm. that we can do that. Um, yeah, the curtain tearing was a symbol of all of that. I love it. And so, it, you know, when we th- think about this Easter story, it's definitely one that's worth celebrating. Um, part of the reason we celebrate Easter, if if you do celebrate Easter, is because we are remembering the sacrifice uh, that Jesus's death mm-hmm. on the cross, what it meant, um, the importance and the significance of him rising, not only the death piece of it, but the fact that he rose three days later out of a tomb. Um, those together it means that we have this free gift that we can have communion or community with God, um, even as sinners. And that is the reason why we celebrate Easter is, and we see this so clearly through understanding the symbol of the curtain and what it really meant for it to tear when Jesus passed away. And so the last thing that we do when we apply is we love praying, uh, you know, to God and asking him how he wants us to apply this verse to our life. The prayer that I wrote was, was something of this nature, and maybe you can write one for yourself at home. Uh, but it said this, Lord, thank you for dying on the cross for our sins. Thank you for tearing the the curtain in two so that we can have complete access to you, the access that we can gain not by anything we do, but through the blood of Jesus. And what what a great gift he gave us um, and totally worth celebrating this Easter. Oh, Heather, thank you so much for, for tackling this passage. I I remember, um, you know, I, I grew up going to church on Sundays and grew up in a Christian home, but I do remember sitting in church on Easter Sunday thinking, I think I'm supposed to, this is supposed to mean more. Like I, th- mm. there, I think I'm missing the significance of this. Yeah. Like I always knew it was a special holiday and, and kind of what it represented, but like understanding even just the veil tearing really helps me understand the significance of his death and resurrection. That's right. And what that means for believers today. That's it's, right. So it's incredible. So thank gosh, you. thank you for um, un- uncovering this 
uh, for us by putting Kara into action mm-hmm. on a Bible verse that we might have just, you know, skimmed over right. and, and just missed. So um, friends, make sure you join us a- again as we continue to dive into different passages in the New Testament. You can visit our website and find additional resources that might help you along the way, as, as, as well as that study guide we talked about mm-hmm. to study this passage specifically. Uh, you can subscribe to the Car Project, and we hope to see you next time. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for listening. To learn more about The Car Project, visit us at thecarproject.com. This podcast is listener-supported, so if you'd like to support, head on over to our website and click Give. Give.